You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Let's pray. Father, we love you tonight. We give you honor and praise and glory for your goodness, for you are good and your mercy does endure forever. And Father, we thank you tonight for the privilege that we have to gather together. Lord, I thank you for the promise that you made to us that where two or three are gathered together in your name, that you are right here in our midst. And Lord, supernaturally, I believe that even though we may not physically be in the same place, Lord, I thank you spiritually we are, and so therefore you are where every single one of us are individually, and we thank you for your anointing, Father. I thank you, Lord, for your anointing to preach and teach the word, but Father, I thank you for your anointing for each and every one to hear and to receive what you would want to say to us. And Lord, we believe for revelation tonight by the Holy Spirit. We release our faith for it. We thank you in advance. And Father, we believe to be changed tonight. And thank you for the privilege, Father, for faith to arise in our hearts, to hear and be doers of the word. And Father, we thank you for it. We love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, this is... This is week number four in our uh, study on the Sermon on the Mount. And as you know, we've been doing a what's called an expository study, and that's where you go verse by verse, and uh, you just dive into the truths that are in that particular verse or, or group of verses and look at. And of course, as I've said, uh, the background for the, the Sermon on the Mount, is, it, of course, is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the background is this, is that Jesus uh, just got through recruiting his disciples to help him in ministry and to help him to be able to fully fulfill the will, plan, and purpose of God. And so what he did is he pulled them aside, and for all of chapter 5, and of course, you know, it wasn't chapter and verse when he was giving it, but all of our chapter 5 and 6 and half of chapter 7, he was speaking primarily to those disciples and then, uh, as you see very often in his ministry, the multitudes would find out where he was, and so uh, they would hunt him down, and so that's what happened in, in uh, halfway through chapter 7. The multitudes caught up with him, and so he began to modify, if you will, a little bit of what he was saying in the sense of he began to talk to them more in a general sense in giving principles of salvation and that type of thing, but in the meantime, we're studying what he taught the disciples, and so I want to jump in in verse 43 of chapter 5, Matthew 5, and I'm going to read verses 43 through 48, and then we'll make some commentary on it, uh, and then we're going to get into chapter 6, and uh, again, keep in mind as we're studying this that it wasn't written in chapter and verse. Jesus didn't stop and say in verse 43 and then say what he needed to say. No, it was all in one discourse. Of course, we break it up into chapter and verse for our purposes. So look at verse 43. <clears throat> Jesus said this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, 
and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do? Uh, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. So let's make some commentary about this portion in verse forty-three. Uh, you know, in forty-four, Jesus gives some things for us to be able to do: love our enemies, bless them that uh, curse us, do good to them that hate us. But notice in verse 45, in the New King James, it says that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Well, let me just say this. The things that he describes in verses 43 and 44 do not make you a son of God. They do not cause you to become a Christian. What they are is an outworking of who we are as Christians. And that first part in verse 45, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, is actually a mistranslation. It should actually say that you can reveal or display or show that you are children of the Father. Matter of fact, the Amplified Bible says that. It says to show that you are the children of your Father who is in heaven. The contemporary English version says this, then you will be acting like your father in heaven. And so <clears throat> Jesus is telling us that this is the behavior of our behavior that we should be living out in our lives as believers. Now, I want to show you something. Um, let's see, in verse 44 or verse 45, well, I'll get to it here in just a second. I'm looking for a particular word. Hold on. Um, oh, verse 46. Sorry about that. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Now, nine times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus mentions a reward. Now, we don't let rewards be our motivation. In other words, we don't serve God so that we can get rewarded, but Jesus and the Father have no problem rewarding us for doing what he tells us to do. And so as we obey God and as we do what the word says, notice that it says, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? And uh, so you'll see that word show up all throughout the rest uh, of what we study here and talking about rewards and, and reward that is available to us. And so pay attention to that as we as we get into this. All right, so let's drop down to chapter 6, and let's continue on with verses 1, 2, and 3. He said, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. The old, the old King James says alms. I'm going to comment on that in just a second. It says, don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no, and here's that word again, reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that you may have glory from men. Assuredly, 
I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Uh, again, the old King James says the word alms there, but this particular verse in verse one is not talking about uh, alms or giving per se. The actual translation should be righteous acts or acts of righteousness, things that we should do continuing in, our, in a theme of behavior. And so, in the next few verses, in verses 1, 2, and 3, Jesus challenges us to examine the motivations of our heart when we do these righteous acts. Now, there are three, <clears throat> pardon me, righteous acts that Jesus talks about here in chapter 6. In verse 2, we'll see in just a second, he talks about giving. In verse 5, he talks about praying. And in verse uh, 16, he talks about fasting. So these three righteous acts, Jesus specifically brings out. And again, he emphasizes, don't do these things. Don't do these righteous acts, giving, praying, and fasting uh, to be seen of men. Now, sometimes uh, we have to do these things in front of people. You know, again, as a pastor, I have to pray in front of people all the time. You might get called on to pray in front of people all the time, but what we have to be mindful of is that we don't modify what we do in our prayer, <laughs> our giving, and our fasting so that we get the attention of other people. Let me use an example. You know, if you uh, uh, are, are in church and you're getting ready to uh, given the offering, if uh, you know you make sure the person sitting next to you sees the big dollar amount that you put on the envelope or on your check or whatever, uh, Jesus is saying that's doing that before men. And mm -hmm. let's say if I get an opportunity to pray in front of people, and because I'm in front of a group of people, I modify, uh, which I hear people do sometimes, the, the way that I pray so that I impress people with my deep theology and the way that I speak. You ever been around and had somebody uh, get asked to pray and all of a sudden they talk differently in their prayer than they do when in the regular, uh, in their regular time talking to you? Well, the, subconsciously they're trying to impress people. And, uh, you know, we shouldn't do that. Jesus said that's having the wrong heart motivation. And so again, there are going to be times when we have to do these things in front of people, but it, it, the key is don't do it to be seen of people. Don't do these things to get other people's attention and try impre and impress people. Okay. So, you know, sometimes we have to give offerings in front of other people at church. You know, if you, if the bucket's going by you down your row, other people may see you drop something in there, but if you're not doing it for a show, um, then you know, you're not doing it before men, you're doing it before God. And what Jesus is contrasting here is there um, were religious leaders of the day, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but it actually happened, that there were groups of the Pharisees and Sadducees that had set up particular times during the day when they would come parading into the temple or the synagogue, 
And uh, if it was in Jerusalem at the temple, they had a little band, a brass band that would follow them around. And when they would come marching into the temple, this brass band would start playing, got everybody's attention and made a big deal. And so that everybody would turn and look and see and watch these religious leaders drop their offering into the container. Matter of fact, you remember where uh, Jesus was in the temple one day with the disciples, and he was he purposely went and sat by where the offering container or receptacle was, and uh, they watched. And I don't know how long it took, but they watched the relig religious leaders come by, you know, and the trumpets would blast, and they would drop their offering in, and everybody would ooh and ah because of what the religious leaders were doing. And then you remember there was a little widow woman that came very uh, unnoticeably, in other words, no, nothing about what she did to gather attention, but uh, she dropped her offering in the container and then left. And you remember what Jesus' comment was? He turned to his disciples and he said that uh, history will notice what that young, what that widow woman did in the sense that she did not give to be seen of men. She gave out of her heart, a pure heart motivation before the Lord. And Jesus said that she gave all that she had. And so implying that her reward was going to be different and greater than the reward that the religious leaders would receive. Okay. So, you, you know, the, I want to point out something to you though. Look at verse one again, and I want you to underline, uh, the two words that in that verse in heaven. Now I'm reading from the New King James, uh, but it says, otherwise you have no reward from your father in heaven. Okay, so underline that. That's going to come up again in just a moment. All right. So uh he said, but when you do, verse three, a charitable deed or your righteous act, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Then verse four that your charitable deed or your righteous act may be in secret. Underline those two words, in secret. And your father who sees in secret, underline it there, will himself reward you openly. Now, what Jesus was saying, and it doesn't show up so much in the English language, but what he said was, going back to what he started with, otherwise you have no reward from your father in heaven. Um, the same phrase is used in verse four, and it says that your charitable deed may be seen in heaven, and your father who sees in heaven will himself reward you openly. Or you could say it this way, in the hidden realm. Okay, and one thing you have to notice and understand is this. God can see out of the hidden realm into our realm, but we can't see from this realm into that realm. So he sees everything that is done. And uh, the, the phrase, when he comes back and says in, at the end of verse 4, he says, And your father who sees in that realm will himself reward you openly, that phrase ought to be, and you can write this in your notes out there beside it, it should say, in plain sight, or, or openly, or manifested in plain sight. Or in other words, you could say this, when you do something 
a spiritual deed, a righteous act with the right heart motivation, God will make sure that the reward for that shows up in the natural seen realm. Now, that's uh, a key for us, and it's absolutely wonderful, uh, because what it does is it, it causes us to have some motivation to want to do things with the right heart. Again, we don't do it so that we can obtain the reward, but if we keep our hearts focused where what I do is between me and the Lord, and I'm not out to impress people, then what God does is make sure that the reward that he blesses you with shows up where people take notice or where it can be seen by people. And uh, so we need to always remember, again, that we're not out to try and impress the world. We are only responsible to please and impress our Heavenly Father. And the way that we do that is with the right heart motivation and with the standard of the Word of God. Okay, now, I want to talk to you for a moment. Go put your ribbon thing there in, in Matthew chapter 6. And I want to go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and draw a contrast here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to just show you something that is worth mentioning. And um, when people do stuff, do righteous deeds out of the wrong heart, heart motivation, it is because, and, and I'm talking about Christian people, it is because they are carnal, that uh, they're immature, that they're babes in Christ. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul writing to the church at Corinth, he said this, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. Even now you still are not able, for you are still carnal. For when there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving, now notice this phrase, behaving like mere men. Here's how you define a carnal Christian. A carnal Christian tries to or endeavors to cause their behavior to be like everybody else, to be like mere men. You and I, in our lives as believers, we've got to be okay with being different from the world. And, um, you know, the religious leaders of Jesus' day craved the people's attention. They craved what, uh, you know, they could get from the people, the recognition and all of those types of things. And that's just like everybody else. Uh, you see this manifested in the corporate world. You see it manifested in politics. You see it manifested in all the worldly realms, but Jesus is calling us to operate by a different standard, a standard that is established by his word and by uh, the Holy Spirit, where we do not seek the attention of men. We are seeking to impress and to please the heavenly father. All right. And so um, what we have to do is we have to live differently than the unbeliever. And especially now in the culture that we're living in, 
uh, there is going to become, or let me say it this way, it's going to become more and more clear who is who and who believes what. And so what you're going to have to go ahead and be okay with is knowing that as a Christian, you are you and I are going to have to live differently than the world does. Because I know, um, you know, there I know of Christians, okay, and I've seen it for years in in church, and not necessarily only in our church, but in just the church in general. Um, but you know, where I see believers who try to live um, in the things of this world and see how close they can get to being like the world without being classified as being worldly. And the thing that you that you and I have to understand is Jesus is calling us uh, to not see how close we can get to the line, but to see how close we can get to him and living in him and for him. Okay, so um, there's got to be that difference. You know, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, we won't turn there, but Ephesians, uh, Paul said this to the church at Ephesus. He says, imitate me as I imitate the Lord. And we cannot be imitators of the world. Now, let me, let me, I guess I need to qualify and say this here. Um, you know, there, there are times when the world does stuff better than the church does. Okay. And so we need to, to do things some better. What I'm trying to say is this. Um, just because we're Christians doesn't mean we're backwards, all right? But we're not worldly, if that makes sense to you, okay? Um, in other words, let me use an example. You know, there's a, a, a portion of the body of Christ that doesn't believe women ought to wear makeup, do their hair, wear long dresses, all that kind of stuff, all right? Well, no, we shouldn't want to dress and behave and and carry ourselves like somebody who's lost but there is nothing wrong with doing some of those things you know like brother hagan used to say hey if the barn needs paint and paint it okay and so you know what i'm saying is we don't want to live like the world but we don't want to uh have a mindset where we are where we feel like we have to operate secondary to the world because of things like money and all those types of things. Am, am I making sense to you? Um, I, I, you know, I believe that uh, there are some things that we ought to be better at than the world is. And the reason we don't, going back to the series I taught at the first of the year, is because we keep limits on God. And so I believe there are things that we ought to be able to do as believers that the world can't do. And there ought to be that marked difference and that we don't have to be secondary to the world. All right. I hope that's making sense to you. Okay. So, but at the same time, we don't need to compromise our standards in order to be accepted in the world, if that makes sense. Okay. All right. So let's look, go back to Matthew chapter six. And it, um, so again, Jesus says in verse uh, five, and when you pray, now you're going to notice that word when, 
show up here quite a bit. Matter of fact, those three righteous acts that I said, giving, praying, and fasting, Jesus does not say, if you do those things. He says repeatedly, when you do those things. So when you give, don't give to be seen of men. When you pray, don't pray to get the attention of people. When you fast, don't look to fast and get the praise and approval of men. So the, the, the question is not if we do these things. The question is, or, or the, the actual saying is when we do those things. So he says in verse five, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Verse six, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret, there's that phrase again, will reward you openly. Okay, so notice what the contrast Jesus brought out in verse five. He said this, uh, for they love to stand praying in the synagogues. You could say this, for they love to stand praying in the church. And then it says, and on the corners of the streets, you could also say uh, out in public among sinners, okay? Um, I heard a saying a while back, and I, I can't remember if this is attributed to Billy Graham or not, but I, I believe that it is. But he said this, preach the gospel, and if you have to, say something, okay? <laughs> Meaning... Our lives ought to preach the gospel. So I don't have to get chosen to, you know, at, at church to pray and my life be an example. I don't have to get out and, and pray real loud in public so everybody knows that I'm a Christian. And I don't have to, uh, you know, if I get picked to pray at the family reunion I don't have to pray for 30 minutes so everybody knows how spiritual I am, okay? Matter of fact, I have found, and <laughs> maybe you've learned this too, if you do, and I have, if you do get called on at the family reunion to pray, let me just let a word to the wise be sufficient. Make it short and sweet. <laughs> you don't need to be praying for the missionaries and, and uh you know, the hands that prepared the food, the farmer that harvested the food, the farmer that planted the food, the, the, the people at John Deere that made the tractor that harvested the food. You don't need to do all that, okay? I know I'm being silly, but um, we need to be, you know, this is what Jesus meant when he said we need to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. And so a lot of times we bring a reproach on the Lord because we try and, and prove to people that we're spiritual. No, just live your life, be a believer, and let the Holy Spirit use you uh, to, to prove who you are in the eyes of people. Okay, so notice this. Go to verse 6 again. And but, but you, when you pray, go into your room. When you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the, in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will again reward you openly, okay? Now, I want us to make sure that we understand our heart motivation for giving is not to be seen of men, but is to honor the Lord and to do it with the right heart motivation, to pray 
We pray because we desire to honor the Lord. When we fast, we're doing something spiritual to honor the Lord, okay? Now, when people get off and they're doing these things with the right, wrong heart motivation, um, they're not doing these things to uh, please God because they love God. Jesus said it's because they love the praises of people. And you're going to have to learn as a believer. And again, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to his disciples about conduct in their lives as believers and as ministers. And so for us, um, you know, we're going to have to make a decision that, that I am going to love God, whether it impresses people or not. I'm going to do what the Bible says, whether it impresses people or not. I'm not out to impress people. Okay. I gave up on that a long time ago. As a pastor, I gave up on that a long time ago. I don't tailor my messages uh, in order to impress people in the congregation. I tailor my messages based on what the Holy Spirit tells me to say to the people. Okay. And, you know, there have been times when people have been in the congregation and I knew what the Holy Spirit wanted me to say. And, uh, you know, the thought that's crossing your mind is, well, what are they going to think when I say X, Y, Z? Or or let me put it uh, in the, the realm of the church member. How about when, uh, you know, you, you, you brought your, your friend to church and, uh, you know, your prayer is secretly, I hope things don't get too crazy today because I don't want my friend to get scared off. <laughs> All right. Okay. So listen, you're going to have to roll the care of that over on the Lord and let God take care of that and let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. Quit trying to be the Holy Spirit for people and just let God minister to them. All right. So notice what he says, though, in verse six, he talks about uh, when you pray, go into your room. The old King James says, go into your closet. Again, he's just talking about a private place of prayer. It could be your bedroom. It could be anywhere that you get alone with God. And uh, pray and let your prayer life be focused on private, uh, be a private thing. And then if you do that, God will see to it that he rewards you openly. What, what is he saying? He will answer your prayers openly or where it can be seen. And in verse 7, he says, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now, again, as I said to you earlier, Jesus is simply saying this, let your prayers be short and to the point. Don't feel like you have to ramble on, uh, you know, when, when you're called on to pray or if you get the opportunity to pray. No, just let your prayer be short, okay? Um, if you're praying in the Spirit, pray long. If you're in intercessory prayer, pray long. But if you're praying the prayer of faith, keep your prayers concise and in line with the Word of God and to the point. Okay. So, cause I think sometimes, um, you know, we get nervous when we're around other people and we ramble. Don't do that. Uh, it always tickles me. Maybe you've noticed this too, but you ever seen somebody that got called on to pray in front of a group of people and, uh, in a two minute prayer, they had 45 father gods 
Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I pray, Father God, in the name of Jesus, Father God, for bringing us all here together, Father God, so that we can have this time together, <laughs> Father God. Okay. And and I'm not knocking that. I'm not. But but listen, just be mindful of those things. And Jesus is saying this goes back to, uh, you know, just um, being short, being concise. And can I say it to you this way? Be pray on purpose is what Jesus is telling us. Keep in mind now, if you're private in your private prayer time, hey, you go as long as you want to go. But again, when you're around other people, Jesus is saying, keep it short and to the point. And again, as I said, especially when you are praying over a meal, all right, you would be amazed as a pastor. Um, if you've ever been around me when I've uh, when or been out to eat with me or whatever, if I'm called on to pray, listen. I ain't there to spend all kinds of time in prayer. I'm there to eat. So my prayer is going to be short and sweet and to the point, and we're going to eat, all right? Because I can pray when I get home. Now, all right, so look at verse 8. Therefore, Jesus said, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Now, this is important. Uh, I want to say this, and again, uh, what Jesus is saying to us is this, that God knows what you have need of before you ask him, but you still need to ask him. Okay. So again, if you're praying to prayer faith, um, you know, I, I will say this, um, you will not find, and I, I'm I'm just being general here, okay? I don't have anything in mind or anybody in mind, but you will not find it in the Bible to pray an unspoken prayer request. Amen. Okay? But somebody says, but pastor, God knows what's in my heart. Yes, he does, but he needs you to say it with your mouth. He needs you to ask. Jesus didn't say, therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you think about them or before you have them in your heart. He says he knows what you need before you ask him, okay? As a parent, you know, you, your children probably came to you or come to you, and you know what they need, but you still want them to ask for it, okay? And there's many reasons for that, but God basically is looking for this. He's looking for faith because he wants to move in the hearts and the lives of people, and he needs you to express your faith. And the way you express your faith is two ways, through your words and through your actions, okay? So he needs you to ask. Look at verse 9. Now, I'm going to read verses 9 through 13. So Jesus goes on and he says, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, Nowhere in verse 9 does it say, pray this prayer. <laughs> he said, pray this way. 
Okay. So what is he saying to us? He is giving us a, a, I've heard it say a skeleton or a scaffolding to build your prayer on or your prayer life on, however you want to articulate that. It, it was never the Lord's intention for us to say, and there's nothing wrong with this, don't misunderstand me, but it was never his intention for us to use verses 9 through 13 as a prayer to pray as a congregation, okay? That was never his intention. Um, if you go over to, don't, don't go there, but Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 11 and verse 1 in the New King James it says this, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. You could say it this way. The disciple came to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray as John taught his disciples how to pray. The Passion says this, one day as Jesus was in prayer, one of his disciples came over to him as he finished and said, would you teach us a model prayer so that we can pray just like John did for his disciples? And so what Jesus was giving us here in Matthew chapter 6 is a, an outline or a model to base your prayer life on. And I want to run through these seven things that Jesus says in this prayer and uh, just tell you what he was trying to emphasize to us. So look at verse 9. He said, Our Father, in heaven. Okay. So what he's saying, and you have to, again, we listen to this through Christian, Christianized Western ears to a Jew in Jesus day for someone to refer to God as our father was totally unheard of. Jesus was the first one to ever show up on the earth and preach and teach and refer to God as our father. Now, he did that by design. You know, I, I often tell you, he didn't do random and he didn't do accidental. He said that because he's emphasizing something to his disciples. He's emphasizing to them relationship. So the first thing that Jesus wants us to do in our prayer life is relate to God or, or approach God relationally. Okay, approach God relationally. Come to him as your father. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 15 that we've been adopted by him, and our hearts cry out and say, Abba, Father, which means dearest father in the Jewish language. Okay, so Jesus is telling us, hey, when you come to God and you come to him in prayer, approach him relationally. Don't, don't come to him and again, there's nothing wrong with referring to him this way, but don't come to him as the creator of the universe. Don't come to him as almighty God. Come to him as your heavenly father. Okay. So that's the first thing he's saying. Then he said in verse nine, hallowed be your name. So the second thing that we're to do is to worship his name. Worship his name. Understand. <laughs> the name of Jesus, understand the power that's in that name and that his name is worthy of our worship. Just make note of uh, a couple of scripture references here. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 10, verse 10 in the Message Bible says, God's name is a place of protection, 
good people can run there and be safe. So the, the King James says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous can run into it and be safe. So when you approach God in prayer, you know, and listen, um, when we close our prayers and we say in Jesus' name, amen, that doesn't mean I'm hanging up now and I'll talk to you later. <laughs> okay. No, what that means is, is God, I know you hear this prayer because I'm praying in the name of Jesus, and it's the same to you as if Jesus is praying this prayer, okay? And by the way, amen doesn't mean, I'll see you later. Amen means, so be it. Let what I am praying be established and done, okay? So Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, says that God gave Jesus a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on earth, and of those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So you and I, when we have the name of Jesus and we approach God and worship that name, the name of Jesus, we have to understand and we need to understand what all's invested in that name and that what that name means to heaven, all right? Here's number three. He said this. He said, pray this. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Number three is this. Pray his agenda first, not yours. Pray his agenda first and not yours. Okay, what does that mean? Father, in Jesus' name, I want your will to come to pass in my life. It's not my will like Jesus prayed in the garden. It's not my will, but yours be done. Not as I will, but as you will. So, Father, I'm wanting your will to come to pass in my life. I want your plans for my life to come to pass. So pray his agenda first, not your agenda. Because I'll tell you this. There's an anointing on his agenda. There's blessing on his plan. There's a favor in his plan. And we'd do better if we'd get over in his plan than trying to get him to get over into our plan. Okay? Mm -hmm. So we'd be better off finding out from the Holy Ghost what God's plan is and from the Word of God and getting over on that. All right? Brad? Yes, ma'am. Your kingdom come, doesn't that mean he wants a... He wants us to bring his kingdom, what his original plan for the earth on earth as it is in heaven. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. That that's and I'm meant to mention that, but yeah, that's exactly what he's wanting. And and I, I said this, I guess it was in church a couple of weeks ago. God's desire and what he established in the Garden of Eden. And the role that he planned for man has never changed. His plan did not waver because of Adam's sin. Uh, what he desired to have come to pass didn't change. You know, he didn't fall off the throne and say, oh my, I didn't see that coming. All right. No, his plan was established. His plan was put in place. And of course, you know, bringing it full circle, Jesus came into the earth 
died, was buried, and was resurrected so that the kingdom of God could be established, or can I say it this way, reestablished in the mm -hmm. earth, and you and I have a responsibility to see to it that that kingdom does come to pass in the earth, of course, with God's help. But as Judy said, um, you know, his plan did not change. And his plan is still for, and I'm going to say it to you this way, for the earth to end up as a duplicate of heaven. Okay. And that, that's still in effect today. All right. So here's number four. He prayed this, or he said this. He said, give us this day our daily bread. So number four is our dependence needs to be on him for everything. I depend on God. Okay. I think, uh, and I heard a, a message that uh, Jeremy Pearson's, Kenneth Copeland's grandson, ministered a few weeks ago. And uh, it, it was just very good, very simple, but very good in the sense of, we always have to come back to this. I am totally dependent on God for everything. Amen. Now, yes, I am anointed. Yes, I have talents, gifts, and abilities. Yes, there are things that I can accomplish. But without him, I have none of that. You know, Jesus said himself in John chapter 15, he said, uh, without me, you are nothing, talking to his disciples. You can do nothing. So it is through him that we live and move and breathe, the Apostle Paul said. So what we have to do is we have to have this attitude, I'm dependent on God for everything. I'm dependent on him for his provision. I'm dependent on him for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and direct me. I'm dependent on him to anoint me as a pastor and to uh, lead and guide me as I prepare messages and lessons. I mean, I need him for everything. Mm -hmm. I need him, uh, you know, for uh, to be my source of supply for money, for provision, for food, everything. I depend on God. Somebody says, well, I have a job. Well, that's great. And I'm glad that you do. But who gave you that job? God gave you that job. So our dependence has to be on him. Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2, uh, you know this, this psalm, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from, uh, mm -hmm. from whence comes my help. Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Okay? My help comes from the Lord. Psalm 68, verse 26, praise God. All you people of Israel, praise the Lord, the source of Israel's life. The new That's New Living Translation, Psalm 68, verse 26. Acts 17, verse 28, this is a verse I quoted just a little bit ago, and the New Living says, for in him we live and move and exist. As some of your the Hebrew poets have said, we are his offspring. Okay, so mm -hmm. I am totally and utterly dependent on God. Because, you know, human nature, just to be honest, human nature is after a while, particularly if you're enjoying some successes, is you'll begin to think that you're responsible for some of those successes. Okay. And we're not. All right. It's only by the hand and the mercy and the grace of God 
that we enjoy any success in this life. Okay. All right. Now, number five, what Jesus prayed this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So there's two aspects to what he just said there. And I'm going to say it to you this way. Get your heart right with God and with people. Get your heart right with God and with people. If there's something in your life that you need to ask God to forgive you of, ask him and receive forgiveness. And if there is some way that you have offended somebody, then if you can, go to them and ask them to forgive you. Or if they have offended you, if you can, uh, you know, deal with it. But what Jesus is saying is it is very important for us to keep our relationships right. Keep our relationship with God right. And if we can at all, if at all possible, keep our relationship with people right. Matthew uh, chapter 6 and verse 12 in the Passion Translation, he said this, Forgive us the wrongs we have done as we ourselves release forgiveness to those who have wronged us. So even if uh, they don't come to you and ask you for forgiveness in your heart, you have to forgive them. And I like the way the the King James says it when it uses the word debts. And and I've taught on this before, but here's here's the way you can tell if you've forgiven somebody or not. All right. Not so much if you've forget uh forgotten what they did but it's this do they owe you because of what they did do they owe you an apology do they owe you to make it right do they owe you that's what a debt is and so jesus said uh listen if you owe god you know if you owe god an apology you need to take care of that if they owe you something forgive them of that debt in other words If somebody has offended you, the way that you can know that you have forgiven them is in your heart, you can say, they don't owe me anything. They don't owe me an apology. They don't owe me uh, restitution. They don't owe owe me anything because I have forgiven that debt. Now, there's a whole nother aspect to uh, the relationship part of it, but I'm just talking about forgiveness in your heart. At this point, first John one, nine, of course, you know, this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mark 11 verse 25 says, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him that your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. Here's what I believe Mark eleven twenty five is telling us that if you don't forgive you tie the hands of God in being able to forgive you. Okay. All right. Here's number six. He says this, uh, 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 and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay. Number six is this engage in spiritual warfare. Now I'm not going to get into all that tonight. We've taught it in the past. Okay. But a better translation of, of that verse is not, do not lead us into temptation because God doesn't lead us into temptation. Mm -hmm. James chapter one tells us that a better translation or more accurate translation is this. And when we are tempted, deliver us from the evil one. Okay. When we are tempted, deliver us from the evil one. 
God does not bring the temptations, tests, and trials. Those come from the evil one. James 1.13, when you're tempted, don't ever say, God is tempting me, for God is incapable of being tempted by evil, and he's never the source of temptation. That's James 1.13 in the Passion Bible. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Spiritual warfare is real. Now, again, as I taught y'all when we were talking about the armor of God and spiritual warfare, you never approach spiritual warfare from a place of trying to get the victory. You approach it from a place of, I have the victory already. Mm -hmm. James 4, 7 says this, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I love the message Bible. It says this of James 4, 7, so let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. I like mm -hmm. that. Okay. And then lastly, the last part of that, uh, which incidentally, <laughs> some early texts uh, of Matthew chapter six do not include uh, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Mm -hmm. Okay. But to me, it sounds kind of funny, uh, you know, to end that prayer or that model uh, and do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Okay. I, you know, it might be up for debate as to whether Jesus said that last final sentence, but I choose to believe that he did. And uh, so the Holy Spirit saw fit for it, for it to end up in our Bible. But what is he saying when he says, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? He's saying this, acknowledge and express your faith in God's power and ability. Express your faith in God's ability. Notice what he said. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. In other words, there's nobody more powerful than you. There's nobody more glorious than you. And so I'm acknowledging that, okay? Make a note of these verses. Jeremiah 32, verse 17, Jeremiah said this, and this is from the NIV. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power, your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You know, I want to challenge us all. Do we really believe that? Nothing is too hard for God. Do we really believe that? Somebody said, well, yeah, pastor, I believe that. Do you? Do you really believe that? Okay. Mm -hmm. Nothing is too hard for our God. Mark chapter 10 and verse 27, Jesus looked at him and said, uh, talking about to the people and to his disciples, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. When you end or structure your prayer by acknowledging the, the power of God and God's ability, you're saying, Father, I don't believe there's anything too hard for you, and I believe with you all things are possible. And so you're acknowledging his power and his ability. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 13, the apostle John wrote, and he said, Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever 
and ever. Listen, if it's, if it's good enough for every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and everything around them to say that, then it's okay for us to say it too, okay? Mm -hmm. To remind ourselves of how big our God is, okay? Now, let's see if I can make it to page 10, all right? I'm on my way, all right? I got two minutes. Here we go. Matthew <laughs> chapter 6, verse 14. Verse 14, all right, Jesus goes on to say, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The message translation, message Bible rather, says this. In prayer, there's a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God, for instance, without also forgiving others. If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. I like that. Verse 16, he says, moreover, again, here's another when, W-H-E-N, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting, Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. You know, what Jesus is saying is, and, and this is what the religious people would do in Jesus' day. If they were fasting, if it was a, you know, a, a traditional fast that the Jewish people would do, they would leave their hair messed up, not shave, shower, you know, their clothes were a mess, so that people would look at them and say, boy, aren't they suffering for the Lord in that fast? Uh, don't you know God is really moved by how they're suffering for the Lord because they're not eating, okay? All right, let's see what Jesus said. He said, I say to you, they have their reward. In other words, if you want people to notice and feel sorry for you when you're fasting or when you're praying or when you're giving, okay, do it to be seen by men. But if you want what really is the intent and what God wants to do in your life as a result of fasting, don't let anybody know that you're fasting unless you really have to. You know, if it's a husband and wife, you might need to share that or family or whatever. So he says in verse 17, but when you fast, again, there's that word when, anoint your head, wash your faith. In other words, Comb your hair, take a shower, look normal so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your father who is in the secret place. There's that secret place again. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So he did not say if, okay. He said when you do these things, okay. So the exciting thing is this, fasting is a spiritual thing. And when you fast and you do it where it's something that that the, the Holy Ghost has led you to do it, and this is something that I'm doing, it's between me and the Lord, and we're working on something here. Here's what God has promised, that you may not know how, you may not know when, but it, the result of that fasting, will show up in your life openly. Okay, if you it, we're not going to take the time to turn over there tonight because I've gone over a couple minutes, but 
Read the 58th chapter of the book of Isaiah, and it's a whole discourse on fasting. The Bible says in that verse, or in that chapter rather, that when you fast, okay, that God has said that your health will speed or, or will go forth speedily. He said, the glory of the Lord will be your shield and your rear guard. And so when we fast with the right heart motivation, not to be seen of men, but this is something that's between me and the Lord, and we're working on something here, God has promised and made promises to you, and those things will show up in your life and will be visible to not only you, but it will be visible to others. That's what openly means, okay? So all of those things are a part. Now, you know, to the Jewish people and to those disciples, this was awesome news because they had been taught to pray. They had been taught to fast. They had been taught to do all those things. But what they did not know is that God was interested in blessing them for their obedience and for doing those things. And if they do it with the right heart motivation, God will reward and bless them openly. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.